Welcome to Going Deep, sports in the 21st century on Blue Ridge Public Radio. I'm Dr. Marsha Mount Shoot. And I'm Coach John Shoot. John's coached at the highest levels of the game of football for 26 years. And Marsha is an author, theologian, and minister. And we're glad you've joined us to go deep into some of the most pressing issues of our time. On Going Deep, we go beyond the sound bites and highlight reels. Hi, I'm Matt Bush, the news director at Blue Ridge Public Radio, and I help produce Going Deep along with the Mount Shoops. The 2019 NFL season will not feature one of the game's stars, Andrew Luck. The Indianapolis Colts quarterback announced his retirement from the game after the team's third preseason game, stunning a sport and its fans. Luck's career was full of highs and lows. Many of the latter surrounded the numerous injuries he suffered in his career, which Luck cited as a major reason he left the game behind. We start this episode of Going Deep examining the physical toll football has on those who play, especially quarterbacks, the position John coached at every stop in his NFL and NCAA coaching career. Well, the toll that an NFL season takes on a player's body is immense. Absolutely immense. And I can understand a player making the decision after a relatively short career to say enough is enough. I can certainly understand it when it's a player like Andrew Luck, a guy who has a plan B, i.e. he's got his degree in architecture from Stanford He's got over $100 million in the bank. You know, there are some reasons to not keep playing. He's uh, married and has a, a new child on the way. So I could understand it. But the toll that it takes on the body is more than people could ever realize. And the decisions that he's making, the decisions to, you know, when I'm 35, 40 years old, I want to be able to play a round of golf with my uh, kids. I want to be able to pick them up and horse around with them. I want to be able to coach Little League. Those are real issues that I know players who are younger than me, and I'm 50 years old, younger than me, that have had hip replacements, knee replacements, that can barely walk uh, a quarter mile, have to take a golf cart you know, if they ever do go golfing. And uh, those are all things that a guy like Andrew Luck had on his mind, I'm sure, as he, as he made this decision. Having said that, I, I want to be clear. I'm, I was surprised by the decision. And it takes an awful lot of courage to walk away from that amount of money. Even if you already have an exorbitant amount, you know, saved, it it does take courage. And I admire him for that. And the other thing is I would not ever underestimate the mental toll that the NFL takes on someone. That is so hard. (laughs) It's a drain. And I think when you couple those two things together, he made a reasonable decision. And I think to go on that mental toll, he was rehabbing from injuries. That's a huge mental toll in addition Mm -hmm. to physical toll, correct? Oh, it it really is. And you feel pressure. I can only imagine the different pools and angles that he must have been having during this decision because he is a good teammate. He's a well-liked guy. 
nobody has to explain to him that, son of a gun, this decision was made less than two weeks before the season. You know, there's a side of this that I really, you know, my first reaction wasn't, huh, good for Andrew. My first reaction was, son of a gun, those coaches are kind of counting on him. You know, there's a lot of people counting on him. Could he have not done this in May or, 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 or in April or before the draft or right after the season? And the answer to that is he, he couldn't have because he was trying to rehab and it just couldn't attack the rehab with the enthusiasm, with the, the effort and the grit that he, he felt like he needed to. And this also sort of happened in real time. This came out during the Colts' third preseason game, and as he was leaving the field that night at the end of the game, you know, it was audible that there were people booing him as they found out that he was retiring. So we'll transition to Marsha. That very quick reaction from some fans, and again, let's not say it was everybody kind right. of reacted that way, but there were people who booed. You wrote about this in your book, Touchdowns for Jesus, how the, the negativity that mm-hmm. really plays into fandom and maybe how people act very irrationally as fans. Talk about that as we hear those boos on that video yeah. as he's walking off the field. Well, I mean, in the framework that they're using, it's not irrational. I mean, they're pissed. They're mad. And so I'm not surprised that he got booed. I mean, I've seen... We've my, seen my, injured <laughs> players get cheered. Yeah, my, I mean, people, people get injured and people cheer because they're going out or... I saw my husband hung an effigy and, you know, a little, what are those called? Mannequins that was supposed to be John Choup. So, I mean, people are cruel in in the confines of a stadium. So I'm not surprised about that. And from their viewpoint, he's betrayed them. Remember some of what I talk about in Touchdowns for Jesus and that kind of um, fanaticism is that things need to be the way they're supposed to be in the confines of a stadium. You know who's for you and who's against you. You know what men do and you know what women do. You There's a kind of whole different ethos and ethic of what's acceptable. Um, so in that framework, it's not that it's irrational, but it is cruel. And it's not very humanizing. And I don't know Andrew Luck. I can't get in his head. But I can guess that part of that scrutiny that you're constantly under as a player and a coach could have been starting to weigh on him as well. Because when you keep being injured and keep not being out there, and I mean, there's always the, the background noise of people saying that you're weak or you don't really care or whatever. I mean, there are just so many things heaped on players that that do take an emotional toll. I also think it's not just that he retired um, from their team, but he's really disrupting something that is a very foundational part of people's love of football, and that is masculinity. And the fact that he is, I mean, this, this, this very decision is very disruptive to that, those, the kind of norms around, well, masculinity, I mean, I talk about this in touchdowns for Jesus as well, but the hyper masculinity that defines football, it does take a psychological toll on the people who participate. They're supposed to be tough. 
They're supposed to play through pain. They're supposed to really not um, be impacted when somebody else feels pain. The kind of normal human reactions in relationships or to their own body's sensations, they're supposed to turn that way down so that they're kind of this stoic warrior that can that can withstand all of this. And so when somebody says, you know what, this hurts too much and I don't want to live like this, other things are more important to me, like my family, like being healthy, like my brain working in a good way, that cuts at everyone else's decisions that that justified what they were doing based on that other metric. You know, when when you've made a decision, like I saw a quote from Steve Berline, who's somebody John coached for a while, who, you know, really criticized. He was a quarterback in the NFL. Right. He really criticized Andrew Luck's decision and said there's just no justification for this. Steve is just a little bit older than us. He's had hip replacements. He's had all kinds of surgeries. He lives with a lot of pain. Seeing someone make another decision for their lives is really hard for somebody who paid that price to see and affirm and that not somehow take them down into a spiral of, oh, so I didn't have to do this. And, and I think that's part of the fans' reaction is you are you are dismantling something that we really need to think is right and good and the way everybody does things. So he's carrying the weight of a lot of things on his shoulders making this decision. I hope he has a good support system um, because there are going to be a lot of people who heap a lot of anger and frustration on him. You know, Andrew comes from a football family. His father, Oliver Luck, played football in the NFL for a cup of coffee, but was a good player at uh, West Virginia. His mother is Don Nealon, the longtime great West Virginia uh, coach's daughter. And so football is in his blood. And I'm sure that as he made this decision, he had a lot of information that sometimes, you know, other people might not have. And one person who really comes to mind to me is Brett Favre. When we were at Chicago around the turn of the century, you know, the late 90s or mid-2000s. Turn of the century. That makes it sound like we're like Methuselah. But it is 2019. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, around 2000. Brett Favre was a quarterback of the Packers, and we were at the Bears. And Brett was an amazing football player. You know, he checks every box in terms of masculine identity and macho-ness. But this was also a guy who was addicted to Vicodin, was taking a month's worth of Vicodin every two days just to get on the football field. And in so many ways, I I even admired the way that this guy got himself to the football field every week. He went into rehab three different times. <laughs> he is has bruises that are going to – bruises and – bone issues that are going to be with him the rest of his life. And 
has suffered from not just addiction to Vicodin, but also alcohol. And this is something depression, depression that he's going to be wrestling with for the rest of his life. And here, 15 years ago, this was a guy that I admired. This is a guy that I really appreciated. And I still do in so many ways. But I got to imagine that Andrew Luck had a vision of Brett in his mind as well and knew not a lot of people knew that you know Brett had been to a treatment center three different times not just once uh you know as as pushed by the NFL that would i think weigh heavily on this decision because in the NFL if you're injured if you're not feeling good they give you something whether it's a shot whether it's a pill whether it's all they care about is you getting to Sunday and they being the coaches, the doctors, the owners, the, the administrators, trainers. the trainers, get you to Sunday. They're not really thinking in terms of, well, what's this guy's life going to be whenever he's 50 and you know wants to play golf with his kids? Brett Favre, Steve Berline, these guys have endured the wear of that. And Andrew, in my opinion, made a wise decision hey, not yeah. to. Offensive coordinator, Shoop, if your quarterback came into you two weeks before the regular season started and retired, a particular quarterback as good as Andrew Luck, who was really the identity of that team, how might offensive coordinator Shoop have reacted? I'd be furious. And, and I want to be clear about that. The only issue that I have with this is the timing of it. I imagine that's something that Andrew really wrestled with as well. He's not naive. He knows the timing of this is horrible. But I'll tell you, in the NFL, if you check swing, whether it's a coach, whether it's a player, you're going to get hurt, and you're going to get hurt badly, and it's it's not going to be good. And if he couldn't give it his all, I admire his stepping away from it. But son of a gun, if I was a coach, I wish he'd have made that decision back in April. If I was a season ticket holder i wish he'd have made that decision back in april as well i actually understand the people who booed i hope that everybody who did when they sit back and really think about it and get the whole story have some empathy for the situation but yeah that that'd be really hard because there's a lot of people whose jobs are depending on that quarterback position coaches players uh, administrators, but I'm sure Andrew knew that too. Like I said, he's not football's in his bones. To me, that that illustrates again a part of this the kind of way that masculinity is constructed, and that um, really, and I mean, we saw this in the way you lived in the NFL too, John. As a coach, you weren't out there getting pummeled all the time, but you're probably took like 20 years off your life to just be a coach and not sleep and not be with your family and not deal with health issues and all of those things that that's what this hyper masculine atmosphere demands that's what it is ex- expected it's not over and beyond the call of duty for you to cripple yourself as a human being to 
get the job done. That's what everybody is doing. And so when somebody decides not to do it, it really is more, it's more about that that puts a crack in the way people are justifying what they're doing to themselves. I mean, I think if you would be furious, and this is Jungian psychology right here, but you would be furious at, at Andrew because he had the courage to do the thing you didn't when you were that when you were his age. When we finally left the NFL, that was a really hard decision. People said we were crazy. People got mad at us, even family members. And that was a hard thing for you because you for so long had, re, you know, justified it. Um, by that's, that's just what you have to do. And I think Andrew Luck's decision pushes, pushes the buttons of people that have know kind of really bought into that mentality um, and that's how they get up every morning at 4 30 in the morning and come home at midnight and all the other things you do you couldn't do it otherwise if you didn't think this is the way it has to be i'll say this when when we left the NFL, I was 37 years old, had just interviewed for a head coaching job in the NFL, and people thought we were crazy. I thought if we'd have stayed in the NFL, we'd be divorced, and our kids were starting to become of an age where I wanted them to be able to come to practice, to hang out in the office where I could be a father. That doesn't happen in the NFL. And uh, Butch Davis was a coach at North Carolina who told me, if you come here, your kids can hang out in the office always, you know, all that stuff. And so that was part of the lure. And yes, it was really hard to leave because you have a bunch of people in that business that are telling you you're crazy. A bunch of people in that business also run their second or third wives and don't have much of a relationship at all with their children. Well, the season before we made that decision, our son was maybe a kindergartner. And it was right before the combine, I think, and John was home for dinner finally, maybe one, a night before he left or something. And when I was putting our son to bed, he said, so daddy's moving back in the house? And I said, well, honey, daddy never moved out. And he said, oh, I thought he didn't live here anymore. And that's how much he wasn't home. And it's just, I mean, we would go over and visit him sometimes at his office so the kids could see him in the daylight. <laughs> but I mean, really, they really didn't think he lived in our house. So again, that is all a part of this narrative of that's just the way it has to be when you're a soldier, when you're a warrior, you, do, you, you know, you take care of your family, but you don't really need to be with your kids. You know, that's what the women do. And so I, I really do think there's so many layers to how this like just sticks people. I mean, just the fact that having a kid would have anything to do with it. Most people that we knew, the men weren't even there when their children were born. 
I mean, they they're going to go to a game or a practice instead of that. So it's a big decision. It's a radical decision. And it really does. It does show that he has a broader vision of like who he is in the world than just the one he's gotten from football. Is it going to change anything? with players or with people who want to retire. I mean, this isn't the first time a, a high-profile player who was an all-pro and was one of the stars of the league retired somewhat early, I guess, in comparison to what maybe people think that would do, Barry Sanders probably being one that really sticks out in my head. I can remember that from about 20 years ago. Will his decision really influence that many players? It might. I mean, I can't say. Every person's decision is kind of in and of its self their their individual decision and everybody's story is a little bit different i'll say this andrew luck had all the information andrew mm-hmm. luck certainly understood that the medications he was taking to get himself to saturday really sunday. take their or to sunday really take their toll they did on brett Favre. frankly they did on a man like steve mcnair as well who uh, jake Plummer? jake Plummer, who we've had on this show you know and so i think more and more people are getting the information that and, and this is something that's in the news now these dr- drugs vicodin these opioids these are these are dangerous i'm here to tell you Drugs are passed out in the NFL like it's Halloween. If you've got a West Coast trip and you got to get to work early the next morning, here's a pill to sleep. Uh, uh, you got to do this, here's a pill. You got to do that, here's a pill. And it is. It's alarming. For a period of time, you think, oh, I'm pretty tough. This is what you do to get to Sunday. But now maybe the tide's turning that this is pretty stupid. <laughs> this ain't how you should live your life. The whole idea of calculated risk, I mean, again, a lot of the data that has come out in the last five to eight years around brain trauma and also now opioids and how that's just a that's just a way of life for for players. And if you if listeners were, you know, have listened to our show on cannabis with with Jake Plummer, he talked a lot about how, you know, this kind of hypocrisy that that they're pushing, NFL's pushing opioids on players that are in pain, but they won't let them use cannabis. I think players more and more are, like John said, getting the information they need to decide, okay, this is a calculated risk I'm taking. There's going to be a, a toll that it takes on my brain and on my body. These ways that the NFL copes with it are dangerous as well. They're addictive or, you know, they're going to make the problems worse. Is that something I want to do? 20 years ago, players were were lied to. So they weren't able to really calculate the risk. They were told it's not a big deal. You'll be fine. And, I mean, we're that generation of players, you know, they're the ones now – that are really bearing kind of lifting the veil for today's players. And that that's, it's a sobering reality to see those guys who are the big gladiators, like not know their names and not be able to live in their homes because they're so angry and, um, you know, volatile and in their, in their households. 
somebody like Andrew Luck also, because he was such a top-tier player, made a lot of money. He has some financial security. People that are, you know, the more journeymen in the league who haven't made that kind of money, they don't have the same kind of room to make that decision. And they maybe it comes from the same privileged background. We're talking right. about Andrew Luck's dad right. played in the NFL, was an athletic director at West Virginia, right. very big in the NCAA. All players who may come into the league don't have that kind of background to be able to do this, too. Correct? That's right. That's right. He has some benefits and privileges that others don't have. I remember when I was recruiting in college one time, and there was a player that I coached who was younger than me, and I won't say his name, but was younger than me. And his son was coming up in high school. And so I visited the school to talk to him about his son, and he was the coach at the school now. And I remember sitting across from him the way I'm sitting across from you, and he started slurring his speech and everything. And and I actually leaned in. I said, hey, man, are you drunk? Have you been drinking? Not even thinking about anything else. And I, he, he started to tear up and said, no, man, I think I'm losing it. And I think of guys like that, and then I think of Andrew Luck retiring, and I think of I, I think to myself, good good for you, Andrew, good for you, mm-hmm. because guys who are younger than me that I've coached are really suffering physically and and mentally. There were fans booing, by far not the majority, but there have been fans very critical of this. And given again what I think we touched on a bit of, the timing of it, but also, you know, a lot of money is spent on going to football games, a lot of money. To be a season ticket holder is very expensive now in the NFL. And when you have a star player like that who is really the identity of the franchise and is the hopes and dreams of so many fans, what is a fan owed? Hmm. Well... (laughs) That's an interesting question for me because um, I was always so, I mean, I'm a pastor. So part of part of the work that I do in the community that I, and the context I work in is to try to help people be more gentle with each other. Like when somebody's vulnerable, how do you respond to their vulnerability? Well, we don't respond to that with aggression or we don't respond to that with hostility or judgment. We, we understand that's a really um, scary place to be, and so how do we respond to that? So this, there's an extreme amount of dissonance for me in the world of, of football, professional football, because there is no such thing as gentleness with somebody's vulnerability. I mean, it, the, the reaction is swift, hostile, aggressive, withering, you know, so I can tell you that many fans think they're owed everything. I mean, they think that you are theirs, that they own you, that your life is has no content apart from their wants and needs. There's a lot of projection on they don't even know you really, but they're projecting all of this stuff onto you. And that's part of what he he has to carry that whether he deserves it or not. So do I think 
that he does owe them that? No. Do I think they truly feel that way? Yes. I do think that um, if somebody sat down and really thought like, wow, I paid X amount of money for, you know, football tickets. So does that really entitle me to somebody's life? Wow, that's crazy that I think that. But in the kind of confines of this system, that's how they feel. And I and I believe there's something particularly American about that, that that our our economic system, um, our our labor, the way we understand labor, the way we understand workers and, and the price that they're supposed to pay to generate profit and to make people happy and to satisfy the the needs of the customer or whatever has always been on the backs of the people who who have to literally carry it in their bones. I think there are reverberations of the way we've abused the working class since the beginning of this country's even existence that give people a sense of entitlement to somebody's body, to somebody's well-being. I don't think that's conscious, but I think it's real, and I think it does dehumanize the people that are out on the field. They don't have a chance. Fans don't have many chances to really to really interface with these people that they've put up on a pedestal or put all their hopes into as just a human being who just doesn't want to hurt every day when they get up. And he just, like, was really honest with you about that. And um, I was always, it always hurt a lot when that kind of anger and meanness came at us. I never got used to that. I never got to a place where that didn't hurt a lot, that another human being could be so heartless. I, as a fellow human being, don't think he owes him anything. But I, as a, you know, aware and awake person who understands the way our capitalist economy works, I think it's accurate for you to for you to ask the question and for us to assume that they think he owes them everything. You've been listening to Going Deep, sports in the 21st century from the studios of Blue Ridge Public Radio, NPR for Western North Carolina. Tell us what you think of the show by emailing us at goingdeep at bpr.org. And make sure you like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Shoops Going Deep.